Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by Nick Augustine PR. Our 30-minute guest call-in show covers local and national legal news and events, as well as legal experts and current trends in law practice management. We cover important news and issues that affect various practice areas, so get in touch and let's tell your story. Partial support for Law Talk Radio comes from our sponsor advertisers who cover our production fees. We encourage our friends and colleagues to help sponsor the production of our Law Talk Radio shows. Send me an email for more information on sponsor plans and benefits directly at nick at nickaugustinepr.com. Don't forget to share the on-demand links to our episodes in your social media networks when you see something you want to share. All of our episodes and our several other programs are also available on the Nick Augustine PR website under the Listen Now link in the middle of the home page. You can visit that page and also share any of the Law Talk Radio episodes from our Law Talk Radio programs or other uh, podcasts located on that site. Uh, today's show is all about Texas-mediated settlement agreements with Attorney James Esch. The Texas Supreme Court, in the matter of in Stephanie Lee, recently ruled on an issue of enforceability of a mediated settlement agreement. The, court, the court's holding uh, partially is quoted here. Uh, we are called upon today to determine whether a trial court abuses its discretion in refusing to enter judgment on a statutory compliant mediated settlement agreement based on an inquiry into whether the MSA was in a child's best interest. We hold that this language means that it is what it says. A trial court may not deny a motion to enter judgment on a properly executed MSA on such grounds. So we're going to talk today a little bit about what that is, what a mediated settlement agreement is, how the statutory uh, intersect, how the statutes apply, and how they work in the state of Texas for settlement agreements and mediated settlement agreements, and uh, just mediation generally in divorce and family law. Our guest, uh, James Esch, practices primarily in family law, mediation, and parenting, facilitation, and coordination. Additionally, Mr. Esch is a certified mediator and mediates a wide range of cases with a particular emphasis in family law. He is also a certified parenting facilitator and coordinator, assisting families in high-conflict resolutions to reach a stable co-parenting environment where children can thrive. After graduating high school, Mr. Esch served in the United States Marine Corps. Mr. Esch received numerous awards for innovative thinking and hard work. Upon leaving active duty, Mr. Esch moved to the Northwest Arkansas to work on his education, where he received his undergraduate degree and his law degree from the University of Arkansas. He was admitted to the Texas State Bar in 2007, authorizing him to practice law. You can visit a website for more information and contact the Esch Law Firm in Dallas, Texas at 214-814-5374. Topics we're going to talk about on our program today, first we're going to uh, ask what are the primary features of mediation in family law cases and how mediation works generally. And we'll uh, talk a little bit about the process the parties take in working towards a Texas mediated settlement agreement. And then after a short break, we'll ask Mr. S to tell us a little bit about the Texas Supreme Court recent decision on MSA enforceability and what is the current law in Texas. And then finally, we'll ask how can parties to family law actions settle their cases in mediation and uh, how to talk to another party, uh, maybe one party wants to and the other one isn't sold on the deal. Uh, how we can talk about getting everyone to the table for mediation. It's a good experience. So by way of short disclaimer, this is a general information and entertainment program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Communication with our attorney guests among callers and guests on our show cannot give rise to attorney-client relationships. If you have further questions, you should consult an attorney in your area. All the rest of this broadcast are reserved. So without further ado, I'd like to say hello to our guest, James Esch. 
Good afternoon, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and I want to thank you for your time and being in the program today. Um, go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself, your practice, and then uh, what we should know about mediation generally for those who might not be aware they may have heard of mediation uh, but might not really understand how it all works. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm happy to. Um, well, you did a great introduction, and I won't spend too much time on myself, but um, as, as you indicated, my name is James Dash. I practice here in the Dallas Metroplex area and pretty much through the I-35 corridor here down to Austin. Uh, and I handle a lot of family law. In fact, primarily my practice about 80%, 90% now is in family law area and uh, the family law arena in general. And uh, and increasingly more high-conflict cases in general. And I'm doing, uh, it's not a topic today, but parenting facilitation uh, and coordination uh, more so. Uh, and then along with uh, being a mediator in family law cases here and there. Uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, the question of how does the mediation work or how what is a mediation, I guess, is the first way to kind of look at uh, what exactly mediation is. And uh, it's an alternate uh, dispute resolution process, and there are several out there. You know, you've got mediations, arbitration, sometimes binding arbitration, non-binding arbitration. Uh, but mediation is essentially where you have a third-party uh, individual who works with both of the parties uh, to try to go through and get them um, to a resolution uh, in a particular case. Um, uh, most of the time, mediations occur in the middle of litig litigation. Somebody files a, uh, files a lawsuit, and then at that point in time, uh, the parties are sent off to mediation uh, by the court, either immediately or sometime before the trial. Uh, in fact, in the Dallas Metroplex area, uh, the in family law cases, most of the courts here, unless you can show some good reason not to, require everyone to at least attempt mediation. And so it's pretty standard for almost all family law cases uh, to go to mediation. Uh, essentially, and at that point in time, as soon as you, you, the mediator basically meets with the party and uh, sits down with them and um, lets, lets them, hopefully, in a way, to go through and let the parties go through and find a solution to the current dispute they have. Now, one very key factor is that a mediator does not make, it, does not make the decision in the case. It is the parties. And that's actually what the mediation uh, is the difference between, say, an arbitration, an arbiter versus a mediator. Um, whereas in arbitration, uh, the, the arbiter or panel of arbiters, depending on how it's set up, will actually come down to a decision. And in mediation, it's not there. It's a non-binding uh, alternate dispute resolution process. <clears throat> so uh, with regards to, you know, from the process side, I suppose after you uh, – you know, when parties agree to a mediator, uh, usually uh, the two uh, parties go through and turn around and decide that they either want a mediation or the court sends them to mediation. Um, most of the time, the parties agree on a mediator. Uh, and if they don't, the court will appoint one. But basically, the parties show up and meet with the mediator. Uh, and uh, that's where it kind of gets different depending on the types of cases. I generally prefer in family law cases, it's already a high-conflict area, I generally prefer that the parties not sit down in the same room. Now, some mediators do it differently, uh, but in my in my experience, you actually get a a better resolution in most times when the parties are not sitting in the same room uh, because the mediator is able to focus the parties a little bit easier, and that's usually called a caucus style of mediation, and that's basically where one party is in one room and then the other party is in another room, and the mediator shuffles or uh, you know diploma basically shuffle diplomacy going from one room to the other room, trying to go through and uh, see what they can work out between the parties. 
basically sit down and uh, usually the as if there's a current active litigation case, usually the petitioner, uh, the one that's filed the latest suit, is the, usually the most of the time where most mediators start with. And they just sit down and they sit in the room and basically ask the parties, hey, what what do you what do you want out of this? And what what is a what is a great result for you? And then the mediator goes to the other room and asks basically the same question. And then they just they go back and forth until hopefully they they reach some type of uh, agreement on that matter. Uh, mm-hmm. And usually every works off. Not everybody gets everything they want, but usually it will work off a little bit better from there. Yeah, um, and James, some of the uh, I, I've been to. Uh, seminars on, on mediation training before. And one of the things that I thought was particularly interesting the first time I heard this perspective, uh, but someone said, it can feel a lot like a business transaction, like you're buying a car where some person's going back and forth and, um, you know, it's let's get to the nitty gritty of what's the bottom line here. And some people say, well, that's, you know, that's awful. How can you talk about, you know, divorce process and, you know, this is important stuff. We shouldn't trivialize it by saying it's like a business decision. But really for a lot of folks, everyone knows what when you're trying to settle any sort of an agreement i always think everyone knows what they really want and their sticking point so it seems that the process um is just everyone you by you're going back and forth instead of having a time lapse of time between going to court and so um anyways with that i want to ask you know is that your perspective as well about how you feel about it and what are the attorneys for the parties if do the parties need attorneys um how often do they have attorneys or not? And what are the attorney's roles while all this is going on? Well, appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I suppose it could feel like a business transaction, and I, depend, I guess that would depend on how the mediator handles it. Um, and in some ways it, it kind of is because you are dealing with a relatively short period of time. But, you know, in the litigation world, um, when you're litigating a case, you're dealing with imperfect information. And what I mean by that is you've got one side, uh, has, you know, somebody's filed the lawsuit against you, and you're making some assumptions of the purposes of what they, why they filed it. And, you know, almost every petition I file in a family law case, um, I ask for the uh, shoot for the stars and hope I hit the moon type situation. And so from not almost everyone, depending on, but generally speaking, you know, if you don't ask for it, the court can't grant it. And um, so in a litigation standpoint, you know, you're, the parties are walking in with imperfect information. A lot of times, even in the family law case, uh, they haven't really been talking to each other. They've been talking at each other and haven't really heard anything the other side is saying. And the only thing they've read is this petition that was filed, and most times by an attorney. And um, and they've asked, you know, they've asked for everything under the moon. They've asked for sole custody, and they've asked everything. And so the other parties just read this read this little legal document that basically says your husband, your uh, soon-to-be ex-spouse, is one in sole custody and wants nothing else. And so, from a you know, in the litigation world, we're dealing with that imperfect information. When you get into the mediation, mediation, and I, I failed to mention a very important aspect that makes actually, quite frankly, the mediation work, and that is in the mediation room, everything that's discussed is inadmissible in court. So you can uh, you can lay all your cards down and go through and say, listen, I know I asked for sole custody. That's my best day in court. But you know, in reality, I want the following thing. And so you get to the point where you can have that conversation um, and more open dialogue, even when the parties are in two separate rooms. Now, I know there will be some mediators out there say, no, I like to see all my family, um, all my family law cases sitting there, uh, you know, sitting in the same room so they can hash out because I need to talk. And I, I see that perspective. 
but even when you're in separate rooms, you can still have that dialogue because the mediators are going back and forth. Now, when you have attorneys, and um, you know, I've had a few clients ask me not to attend the mediation with them, and most of that's because they're trying they're trying on a cost perspective. Um, I generally always want to be there, and quite frankly, should be at your mediation, uh, and your attorney should be as well. Um, now, it's my opinion the attorney shouldn't be doing much talking. In a mediation, I, th- I think uh, the attorneys, if you are represented, my personal opinion, your, your attorney needs to be sitting down and listening to what's being said. And basically, their role in, um, at least my position in mediation, as what I consider my role in a mediation, is just be, to be there to advise my client on if what's being offered is a good deal or a terrible deal. And, or rather, also to go through, give them a perspective of, well, yeah, you know, that may be not the best deal, but understand that, you know, in order to get this in, in court, you're going to have to spend the X amount of time and everything else, basically being a sounding board uh, to the client, uh, basically giving them that kind of informed advice so they know, uh, you know, what they're about to decide to uh, agree to. And also make sure they understand that, you know, the, if you get to a final mediated settlement agreement, it's a done deal. And that was one thing I guess I also didn't mention a few minutes ago is that there are about, I mean, there's, I guess there are about two categories of mediated settlement agreements. The first one being a full mediated settlement agreement. In other words, parts say, hey, we've, we've solved everything. Everything in here is complete. And then there's the, uh, there's, you know, the middle ground, what I, uh, basically a partial mediated settlement agreement. And that, you know, you go in and you say, you know, we can't, we can't solve these bigger issues, but we can agree that the following things are good. And so that partial mediated settlement agreement allows you uh, so that, you know, you're able to get done with the big things and then basically saves you time in court if you're able to solve, you know, if you solve 90% of everything and only have 10% left over. So, but as I guess from uh, talking about the roles of the two things, you know, from an attorney standpoint, I think attorneys are better best served when talking to the mediation and understand that the role is not to do all the talking but do most of the listening and providing a good uh, Good advice, uh, or providing you know sound advice to your client on what is a good and what is a bad deal. Or quite frankly, if you you know sometimes the answer is you know this is your family, and you know you you day in day out stuff better than anybody else's. Uh, when the party is not represented by an attorney uh, and one side is, I think the mediation becomes a little more challenging for the mediator, especially if you're an attorney mediator because you want to make sure and. Just to understand when I mentioned attorney mediators, not all mediators are attorneys, by the way. Some mediators are just trained mediators, uh, whether they be a professional, professional counselor and stuff like that. And I've used both uh, in my cases, and some are, uh, depending on the situation, um, it's more of a child custody issue, and that's the only issue. And, you know, there are some uh, great uh, mental health professionals who are mediators that work well in some of those cases, and sometimes you need a more of a legal background. So when selecting mediators, that's something to consider. But I, I'm kind of getting a little off what I was at. And that was basically, you know, attorney mediators, if you have one person that's pro se and one person that's represented, you know, the balance is for the mediator is not to become involved or try to take sides, and that becomes harder whenever you have that, dy- that power dynamic that's different. So... And I hope that probably answered that question, uh, Nick. I know I kind of got a little, um, a little side, sideways on the uh, on the other distinctions, but those were those really are the big roles for the parties, and uh, between the you know the two parties as far as the person who's filed the lawsuit, 
the respondent who may have even filed a countersuit. You've got the attorneys who are there to um, hopefully advise their client on what, what's going on and do uh, listen in and also go through and uh, provide additional information about procedures and, and the, the posture of the case. And then, of course, the mediator who is a non-partial mediator. Sometimes you'll have co-mediations where you have two mediators, but I don't see that too often. Um, and then finally, the uh, you know basically what the mediator reports back to the you know the one party or the one person we haven't really talked a lot about is the court, and they're you know they're not really involved in the case other than telling you have to go uh, to participate. It doesn't mean you have to get to an agreement. It just means you have to show up and at least in good faith try to go through and get to an agreement. But the court mm-hmm. the mediators back to the court. And basically, uh, and the only thing the mediator is going to say is uh, one or two things. Is Your Honor, we were successful, or we were not successful, or I guess partially successful as well. And then you have the, uh, if you've reached the mediated settlement agreement, the, part, uh, the mediator will likely file that with the court, um, or they'll, uh, one of the attorneys will file it with the court, but it will eventually get filed with the court, and which is the basis for the, uh, basically what, how to get to the final order. It's the next step to get there. All right. Well, there you go. Well, thank you, James, for, for wrapping up the process in uh, a pretty good nutshell there. This is a perfect breaking point. We're going to stop for our uh, midway point here, uh, marketing message, and then we'll come back. And we'll talk about uh, what happened when the court, one of the courts here in Texas decided not to uh, honor that MSA, and uh, the Supreme Court ruled on uh, recently on mediated settlement agreements and their enforceability. So uh, at any rate, this is the point in our Law Talk Radio program where our sponsors, uh, are, their messages um, are read. So when uh, we talk to people about sponsoring Law Talk Radio episodes to help us because, uh, again, this is an independently produced program, uh, so we do uh, sell and offer sponsor opportunities for those of our uh, clients and friends who wish to uh, buy sponsor episodes. So at any rate, uh, we're the sponsor today, so I'll tell you a little bit about Nick Augustine PR and creative content marketing. Uh, We're an agency offering monthly marketing and publicity plans to individuals and small business clients. Um, Many of our uh, clients are attorneys and law firms. We also work with the general uh, small business community. The Nick Augustine PR monthly plans focus on writing and managing social media, blogs, newsletters, and podcasts. In addition, Nick Augustine PR offers traditional copywriting and public relations services. A few of the benefits of our monthly plans we offer are, one, uh, our content is all custom and written specifically for our clients. We avoid also promoting competitors in your area. Our clients email us articles, ideas, and different things that they find and run across in their practice areas and send us that information that we add to our publication calendars and uh, mix those in with articles that we also uh, write and propose for publication. So it keeps everyone engaged while spotting uh, different uh, news stories and things that are happening, again, in your business, uh, whether it's a law firm or another small business, uh, keeping us all up to date on what's going on in the world. Um, Also, the consumer public really does expect professionals and businesses engaged in um, marketing online to maintain a reasonable presence online, and we're here to maintain that for you. So again, you can contact Nick Augustine PR at Nick at NickAugustine.com. PR.com to find out more about what we can do to help keep your marketing machines moving. So uh, let's get back to our program with James Esch. Uh, James, we talked a little bit about um, the process of mediation, how it works, and um, we finished off discussing at the end, the attorneys present the, the mediated settlement agreement to the court to be included in the judgment. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the recent Texas Supreme Court case in race Stephanie Lee and what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, Henry definitely actually did. Uh, it was kind of I want to say a confluence of 
uh, basically a conflict of two laws, but basically uh, the general the general question that was basically presented was that you know under the Texas Family Code, uh, there's a, a a policy in the state of Texas that the highest priority uh, is given to the best interest of the child. But there's also another section in the Texas Family Code that says, and there's a general principle in, under Texas law as well that parties are uh, that mediation and alternative dispute resolution processes are uh, are you know good for good for the parties and it's great that people get to that point and it's a very high high priority and so where this case basically came down to is they uh, uh, and I'll try to go through and be brief but basically the parties went through and had gotten a divorce and had appointed uh, mom the primary uh, parent with the right to determine the um, uh, the residence of the child. And the dad was uh, basically what a lot of people consider non-custodial parent, but generally didn't have that that specific right. They're joint managing conservators, um, reported in joint managed conservators, so they both got to make decision rights, but mom got to decide where the kid lived. Some uh, years passed, and uh, mom at some point in time um, started dating a guy who turned out to be a, a sex offender. Dad uh, went through and filed a filed basically for modification, asking for the immediate, uh, basically to, to give him the right to determine the child's residence, along with some uh, provisions as far as restrictions on allowing new boyfriend from being around the kid and some other things. Uh, they were they turned around, got went to mediation. Like I said, most almost all cases, unless you can show really good reason not to uh, go to mediation, so they went to the mediation. And they came to a mediated settlement agreement, surprisingly, in this case. Uh, and at that point in time, uh, they left. And Dad, I believe, yes, it was uh, Dad who went up to the court to go through after, after uh, as I said, they finished the mediated settlement agreement, so they left the mediation. And at some point in time afterwards, the parties, uh, they got to a final order, and they took it up to the court to get, to get it signed off on because the parties had agreed to the media MSA. Well, Dad was there. It's my understanding, based on the, uh, the case, basically that Dad had didn't have his counsel that was at, at at the actual mediation, but had counsel with him. And then Mom's had substitute counsel, but Mom wasn't there. And when trying to enter the, uh, when basically presenting the order to get signed by the judge, there was a comment of something made to the judge that uh, about uh, new boyfriend, Mom's new boyfriend was a sex offender and had slept in the uh, same bed with the child. Um, this alarmed the associate judge, and he refused to sign sign the order. Hmm. Uh, they at, at some point in time they went up to just a, the the district court, and the district court also refused to sign the order and got appealed. Uh, the mom filed what they call writ of mandamus, basically um, saying, uh, you know, district judge, you have to sign this order. And uh, the court of appeals agreed with mom in that case and said, hey. Just to judge you, under the Texas state law, you have to go through and sign this, uh, uh, sign this uh, decree uh, because it came to an immediate settlement agreement, and under Texas law, you have to sign it. And uh, Dad appealed that up to the Supreme Court, and essentially the Supreme Court agreed with the Court of Appeals and said, yes, under Texas law, when parties get to an immediate settlement agreement, um, you are required a party is entitled to a judgment based on that immediate settlement agreement. The court also, though, at the same time, but the court also reminded attorneys and uh, the bar and the public at large, though, there are many other options the judge has as well, that even though that they 
have to enter uh, they have to enter the agreement or basically they have to enter an order based on that mediated settlement agreement. Judges have a whole host of other um, you know tools at their disposal to ensure that the best interest of the child is taken care of. And whether that be by recessing the um, recessing the hearing until you know an amicus can be appointed to be looked at, you know, quite frankly, I, I can see I can see scenarios where a court, um, you know, signs a final order and a party files for an immediate emergency modification, uh, mm-hmm. and the court grants them like that. So I, I think there are many disposable issues out there. The court, the Supreme Court, wasn't saying that you know a parent can do you know basically. Uh, can come to an agreement that's totally outrageous to the child and the court's bound to ignore the best interest. You know, the court, this, the way I understood the, the opinion and the way it's my understanding was, the court said, no, you're, the party's entitled to a judgment, but the court's not powerless to do other things to ensure the best interest of the child is taken care of. And so, it, you know, the Supreme Court basically, Texas Supreme Court upheld, you know, a tradition that's... Um, or a very big trend in the state of Texas that mediated settlement process is a good process, and it's a process that we should all be following. Well, it's a statutory so. process that has, you know, as long as the you can check the boxes that everything happened according to statute. Boom, that's that. that oh, sorry about that. Um, that there you have, you know, a good agreement, like you said, um, a very interesting thing, a very good movement. A lot of people uh, say, and you know, again. Um, when we talk about alternative dispute resolution, uh, there are a lot of other options. And um, so basically, what can we do if someone wants to do mediation? Uh, again, you know, as you said, um, most times you go to mediation automatically, judge sends you there. But um, I actually, maybe I've heard of a few cases uh, in my past where people went to mediation, left, and then tried to go back to mediation. Um, you know, what are ways to... But I don't know. If the one party wants to do it, the other party doesn't want to. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, as far as you know, as I was saying at the very beginning, you don't have to have an active case to get a mediator. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, personally don't get involved with cases usually until they're already they're already in litigation. Um, and so it's rare that I get a call of, "Hey, I have a dispute with my, you know, my ex. Let's let's talk so we don't go back to court." I think that's a very smart thing to do. I think you save a lot of money. Uh, would save a lot of money, actually, if you got the mediation mediators involved first. And in a lot of cases, in a lot of my cases now, after we go back and modify, there's a provision in there that says, hey, before you all file any more litigation, you've got to go see a mediator first. Mm-hmm. So the, sometimes the parties don't have a choice. Um, and basically, you know, under, I guess, one one smart thing in that way to do would be uh, if you are in dispute with uh, with your ex over something, whether it be, bedtime with the kids and y'all can't agree or, you know, the upcoming uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays um, and y'all can't get to an agreement and you've, you know, you've made a call, you've made the calls and you've sent the emails, but y'all just can't get to the agreement. Uh, you can seek out a mediator directly and to try to go through and want to be, uh, basically to get into that mediation. And I would, I think the best of first start is to listen, you know, a very simple text or email to the other side. Listen, obviously we can't come to agreement. We've tried. Let's see if we can't get somebody else to help us out. And, you know, a very big key point a lot of that is, is um, like I said, it's, it's much less expensive for mm-hmm. the party to uh, go to a mediation than it is to file the litigation and go to several hearings only to be told to go back to mediation where you're going to end up at 
uh, quite frankly, anyways, in most cases. Right, no. and there's a lot of time that elapses too. So, you know, your resources aren't only financial, but it's also time as well. And, uh, you know, it just seems to me that uh, it's a process where you're learning how to agree and get along as opposed to, you know, suiting up to fight. Uh, you know, and I, I suppose when the kids are involved and other people are involved, it's a, you know, kind of a more, I guess, uh, mature and adult way to settle things sometimes. You know, a lot of people are big fans of mediation. And again, with the trend that we've been seeing uh, pick up more momentum as more people are looking to settle things in mediation. You know, if someone has a good experience, they tell someone else in their family or a friend, you know, hey, I didn't spend all my time going to court. It didn't take two years. We got it done in mediation. It's a good thing. So, James, I want to thank you for your time today. If people want to know more about the mediation process uh, and have questions and want to continue a dialogue, how can they best get a hold of you? Uh, they can call me directly or they can email me. Uh, my phone number is 214-814-5374. Or, uh, you know, email works great for me, uh, james.esh at elflegal.com. That's james.esh at elflegal.com. All right, very good. Well, I want to also thank all of our uh, people out there for tuning in and listening to this episode of Law Talk Radio, Nick Augustine PR, and support from local sponsors. Thank you for your time and listening as well. And, uh, of course, for sharing our episodes that you find in our uh, network. People uh, appreciate the opportunity to find those shows in their Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn uh, pages and feeds as well. So, again, our, our Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to educate and entertain our audience while we share tips, tools, and news that everyone can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you all for your time.